Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 81. My name is NBZ and I'm here alongside my co-pilot, Mabali. He's here and he's ready to talk about some things. Maybe not that many things, but some things about Nintendo. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm here ready to go and like it's it's December. We're we're almost at the end of this crazy year that is 2016 2016 you can go fuck off as far as many people are concerned i think bali but um i don't know but but you know what you know what else happens in december but no what does happen bali my my two favorite people have their birthdays oh wow that's really good yeah. who are these people uh, i've never heard of them jesus and mbz oh wow yeah. me and jesus hold the same standing that's very impressive it's very impressive uh You're you're right bali, same month as jesus yeah, you know, I literally am the reincarnation of Christ himself. As we all know, uh, Christ was a huge Nintendo fan. So uh, shout out to him. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a good show, Bali. We've got some Game of the Year stuff coming up. Uh, how about you tell people what we're going to be talking about? So we're going to very quickly mention uh, games we've been playing. Then we've got like just a very small mention of a little bit of news that happened that we wanted to touch on that is Switch related. And then for our second segment, it's an extended segment and it is our first Game of the Year special segment for 2016. And that is, of course, our top 10 games of the year that we played this year that didn't actually come out this year. Of course, the most convoluted phrase in all of our podcast (laughs) history. to stay convoluted. We love it. Uh, we'll continue to do it. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a good one. There's not much fighting going on there. It's just us expressing our love for the old games that we played in 2016. Uh, so uh, be sure to look forward to that because that's the bulk of the show. Uh, but as Bali mentioned, uh, you know, video games have not been something that Bali has been uh, had much time to play yeah, in the last couple been, of weeks. It's been very, very busy. And especially when yeah. I've been delving into two really long games it's been quite i really like playing long games for long stretches of time and i've just not had long stretches of time to tackle these games so they've kind of sat to the side a bit which is a bit annoying but i'll hopefully try and fix that for next time but mbz what have you been playing because i have dived into this game a little bit you might say yeah, and you also played it multiplayer a few times before, haven't you? Yeah, I've I've played it multiplayer a little bit with friends who've been at mine. Uh, and this, this game is obviously Runbow, uh, which was also part... And we keep mentioning this all year, don't we? The, the Nintendo Humble Bundle. It is, yes. Uh, you know, that's uh, one of the... I guess if you want to put a phrase on 2016, it would be Nintendo Humble Bundle. <laughs> that kind of makes up the bulk of a lot of our chat. Uh, but yeah. it, uh, it's, a, it's a cool game. It's interesting. Uh, and I have basically beaten it. Uh, when I say beaten, it means I've gone through the kind of main single-player stuff. Seems to be a lot of modes on the main menu, if you notice, Bally. Yeah, it's quite intimidating, isn't it? It's, it's sort of the first thing i looked at i was like where where actually is the single player because it sort of splits right. multiplayer modes it, its menu is almost akin to something like smash brothers really in a weird it, way yeah it, it does kind of have that feel it's a to lot it. of modes yeah totally so um there's online stuff which i don't think allows me and you to play against each other it really? seemed like i jumped into it real quickly and it was like hey add another player so it's like you could take two people locally and play online against other people Maybe it lets you do friend stuff, uh, but it, it seemed like random matches. Uh, so I was a little bit wary of that. And I couldn't um, find anyone. I tried it for a bit today and I couldn't find anyone online. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's a Wii U indie game that not a huge number of people bought. And despite the Humble Bundle, that was a while ago. You know, I I guess if we had tried playing this when it came out with the Humble Bundle, there would have been way more people probably, you Mm. know, getting it for the first time and trying it out. But uh, that's the thing. When the install base is this low and you have that kind of niche of a market for these smaller games, yeah, you probably won't be able to find anything when you're jumping online, which is a shame because I think that this game probably shines the most when you play it multiplayer. And um, Mm. that's what I discovered when I was playing through the single-player game is I found the game kind of bland. Um, It's cool and it has some neat ideas. Uh, And essentially the premise is it's a platformer where you are challenged with various tasks in each level. Sometimes it's simply get to the end to find the trophy. Sometimes it's kill this certain number of enemies. Other times it's collect this currency. Um, And along the way, the, the levels, you basically pick from this menu, which is basically a chessboard. And the idea is you beat a level and it kind of unlocks the ability to do two levels adjacent to it. It's kind of like, you know, your Smash Brothers comparison before. Hmm. Uh, It's like the challenge board in Smash Brothers, where when you beat a challenge, it kind of shows what you need to do for the adjacent squares. Um, So you're essentially like looking down on this chessboard. And uh, they I think they're color coded. So green, orange and red, which indicates uh, easiest to hardest. Um, So you can kind of maybe try and take a path of least resistance and the essential premise is you have these four different squares in the different areas that are boss stages and you essentially need to make your path through this entire chessboard to those four stages uh, to ultimately unlock a final kind of battle at the end um, and it's very short it's uh, it's a campaign that you can blast right through i beat the whole thing yesterday and it only took me maybe two and a half hours but uh there's some interesting stuff in there uh for me personally the physics are not the greatest they seem like they were designed for multiplayer and to have a lot of chaos going on to the extent that they don't really feel that refined um the animations are not very uh expressive or exuberant they're very kind of stilted and i did find moments where i was kind of like not necessarily glitching off things but having hit boxes and things like that kind of whack me away and around that didn't feel uh natural or that fitted with the groove of the game um bali you've played like a few stages how how do you feel about the movement and the controls and everything is it jiving with you because i know you're less sensitive to this stuff than me i think the the controls were fairly average i mean i i would agree with you they're not incredible and obviously i'm not as pernickety as you know as nbz is when it comes to <laughs> controls and look, I, think, I have a sixth sense in look the mario karts like... all feel the same just 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 don't deny no, it don't. Just, oh just you're so wrong you're so wrong <laughs> but this game i i thought the controls are fine and they work really well for what this game is going for in terms of like the the structure of the levels and the whole the main central mechanic of the color changes within the platform so the platforms are all different colors uh, but when a platform matches the color of a wave of background that comes onto the screen periodically as you're playing through the the stage uh, certain platforms appear and reappear based on the color you're about that's about to take over the stage i'm not sure i explained that terribly well to be honest but it's 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 quite hard to explain it's almost um I wouldn't say it's necessarily rhythmically with the music, uh, but it no, does have a beat quite. to it with the yeah. sense that like every however many seconds go by, 
a different color will change to what the background is and they do give you an indicator for it so it is well telegraphed it's like okay there's a sequence to it so you know what they're going to rotate between and there's also a little kind of before it fully goes across it kind of peeks out and shows you oh orange is coming get ready and then it's orange so it gives you time if you're standing on that colored platform to be like okay need to get ready make sure i'm out of the way before this happens because it's going to screw me over yeah and i and i think it's it's it works well and it's a it's a neat thing and you're right from the single player i've played it's it does feel a bit lacking it's a bit it's a bit sort of platformer by the numbers and obviously the unique selling point of this game is i think i believe the multiplayer goes up to nine players which is yes kind of just like a really cool original unique thing for a 2d platformer to do so i i definitely would like to try to get as many controllers and people in a room and just have a go at this at some point um i'm not sure how confident i'd be in getting that number much beyond four or five players but right uh i think i think i'd like to try that before sort of coming down on this game hard because it, uh, you're right it's not it's not doing enough that's very special really uh in in such a yeah obviously 2d platformers we've played many 2d platformers that all do incredible yeah. things and it's not cutting the mustard is it really when it when well, you compare yeah. it to them and that, that's the problem. I think it, it is hard to criticize a game that is primarily built around multiplayer when you don't have the mm. means to access it that way. Um, I mean, if you were someone who played Triforce Heroes, for example, and could only play that single player, well, that game's like a fucking one out of ten because you <laughs> yeah. literally have to have like the most dexterous, like ridiculous skills as someone playing that game to even feasibly get through any level because you have to do everything for yourself and it's designed around the fact that you shouldn't be having to do that mm. and these levels do work single player i'll give it that like it's not the case where like triforce heroes it's completely broken um but uh but yeah it, it feels like those mechanics are there to screw over multiple players on a single screen so say you know the orange platform is the safe one and you're the one occupying that space while someone else can kind of kick you off it and then take it for themselves and and that makes a lot more sense in the context of hey uh this is kind of a it's it's a competitive game uh and and it it kind of encourages people to screw with one another um i wouldn't say it's a a, this is a phrase coined by total biscuit it's a co-optional which is the name of his podcast but it's the idea that you have a cooperative game that can alternatively be competitive if you want it to i don't think this is necessarily a co-optional game uh it's it's very much a first person to the past the post Mm. um but uh but there are some nice things about it i i really like the fact that it includes a bunch of uh throw out uh shout out should i say to different indie games um different characters actually when we interviewed uh um peter at gamescom uh, I believe that he mentioned that the Tesla grad kid was a unlockable character in Runbo. Um, and so we have a lot of these nindies uh, kind of getting together and throwing their characters in there. I believe Shovel Knight's a part of it. I haven't unlocked him yet, uh, but I did unlock uh, Rusty from SteamWorld Dig. Uh, hmm. I have unlocked Commander Video from the BitTrip series. So uh, there's, there's lots of uh, cool crossovers going on there. There's also DLC to download Lilac from Freedom Planet and Shantae. Uh, from the Shantae series, of course. So, 
that is cool to see. I really, I do like this notion that all these indie developers are kind of, you know, banded together in the trenches together. They all kind of support each other. They're in each other's games. Um, it's cool. It's like the Smash Brothers effect, but amongst all these different studios, like within their own games. Um, it helps like promote each other and, and just, you know, the sense of community, I think, that that's great. And, and Rombo kind of lends to that because you, you want to have a community of people around to play it. So um, hmm. it does make sense. Um and I, I don't know, it, it, it was challenging, it was fun, and it was, you know, there are some cool ideas in there and some cool mechanics and some levels that you really kind of almost bang your head against and you're like, oh man, this is actually pretty tough. Like, you definitely need to be on your game. There are some, some things they throw at you later on that you're like, wow, this is actually pretty neat. Uh, and I kind of think to myself, some of those harder levels, like, I don't imagine how if you have nine people, anyone gets to the end, because me on my own with no distractions, still really difficult. So like, trying to compete with people while trying to get across, sounds like a bit of a nightmare. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's probably what they're going for. They're probably going for this whole idea of, of just chaos. Um, and I can appreciate that. So hopefully one day I'll get to play this multiplayer. For now, it was fun. It was a short experience. But, uh, you know, if you have this in the Humble Bundle, I recommend checking it out for a couple hours. Uh, it's not going to do any harm. So uh, definitely give it a go. It's Runbo. And, um, and yeah, so uh, that's going to be the video games for this week. I've played some other stuff, but, you know, we, we're running on time because of the Game of the Year things. So, Bali, we're going to move over to a little bit of news, uh, which was quite the surprise that happened earlier this Huge week. Surprise. when. Reggie fils the big dog at uh, Nintendo of America, showed up on Jimmy Fallon. Now, before this happened, we all knew he was going to have an appearance on, on Fallon. Everyone assumed, correctly so, that they were showing off Super Mario Run uh, and that they were going to be like, hey, Fallon, promote this fucking game for us so we make millions of dollars. And Fallon is like, well, yes, of course, I am the person who sucks PR's dick, so I will do that for all of you. Uh, so uh, he he did his thing, did Super Mario Run, but curiously, Bally, uh, under a question block in the center of the stage there presenting, uh, was something else, something that no one expected to happen. Uh, the first public reveal and kind of showing off of the Nintendo Switch with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild running on it. Uh, what is your reaction to, to this having happened? Because I remember waking up, looking through Twitter while I was taking a dump in the morning, as I usually do, and being like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa they showed the whoa. Switch on Fallen? They showed the Switch? What are you, what's going on here? Uh, so, so how did you feel about that? It was super shocking. And and you texted me and you were like, have you seen the Fallon thing? And I'm like, Fallon thing? What? Oh, Reggie was on Fallon. Oh, what? The Switch was on Fallon? So like I watched the 10 minute video and I was just pretty shocked. And I thought that the, the Switch itself looked really, really great in the flesh. And, and it, it's worked so well. I thought that the dynamic between Fallon and Reggie was a really... It was unusually awkward, but still very entertaining. And obviously Reggie's in constant PR mode and he's getting out all his PR on Mario Run and obviously with the Switch. But it was really exciting just to see the Switch on such an elevated platform, like in terms of the media and everything. And I thought it it, it did really well. I thought it, it, they conveyed the idea that you can play on the big screen or you can play on the system itself uh, and take it with you on the go. Like they conveyed that really well. I thought it, it rendered really well. It looked really good. Uh, and I think that 
I would argue a lot of people who saw that video are probably thinking, you know what, that's, that Switch thing looks kind of cool. I'm intrigued to see how much it's going to cost. And it's at least, if even if people aren't sold on it yet, they at least are aware of it. And that's something that I don't think the vast majority of people will have been uh, just from the reveal of the Switch, which I think would have aimed far more at, you know, people engaged in video games like us for example who are constantly on nintendo's youtube channel checking when stuff's coming and like i don't i think that for a wider audience it was a really good first experience of hey here's this new cool thing nintendo did they're the company that did the wii and here's their next thing are you interested maybe maybe not but here we go have a look totally it uh, it was actually uh, exemplified i think by the fact that when they pulled the switch out of its dock uh, and Reggie handed it over to Fallon. There was a gasp, a sort of like reaction from the audience that, oh my God, this is what this thing does. It transfers from the television completely seamlessly to this device that you can take anywhere with you. And I, you know, people may have thought, oh, is that like kind of, you know, the, the crowd being told to woo at certain points? But I feel like it was actually a genuine reaction because you think about kind of people who go and watch Fallon are not necessarily the kind of people who are going to be that keyed in to what's going on in games and necessarily know what the Switch is. So I think like that as a legitimate surprise to people was impressive enough for them to be like, oh, wow, this is this is really cool. Um, so we did get a kind of a better look at it. We got to see some of the backside of it. Uh, Fallon, of course, was talking about like the kickstand and popping it out. He actually, you know, and I think a lot of people are very cynical about Fallon because it's his job to sell products, to be a mouthpiece for celebrities and for companies and all that stuff. <laughs> it's the whole premise of a, you know, late night talk show if you want to get cynical about it. I, I enjoy watching them. Like, you know, I, I find them very entertaining. Uh, but the kind of enthusiasm he has for video games is actually i think more plausible than most other uh tv show hosts or late night hosts uh he definitely sees to seems to know what's going on he kind of has a better knowledge than most people and that there is something legitimate about his excitement as as maybe you know overblown as it could have been there was that gif floating around of him at yeah, exactly. a, was it a baseball game. Uh, I can't, I don't exactly know what event, but there's it this gif basketball. of him like excitedly describing the switch with his hand gestures to someone else. And, you know, he's not being filmed there. That's just him on his own. I think there is, it, it's a good to, it was a good choice, I think, to get it to Fallon because he is someone who will evangelize these things, but also has kind of a real passion for them and was kind of showing that when he said stuff about like, oh, I, I know, you know, the whole story about Miyamoto and how he used to go out into the woods and, you know, the, the Legend of Zelda was originally created because of his adventures outdoors. So uh, I appreciate that. And I think it was smart to put him up there. I thought that on top of Reggie being there, and you're right, Fallon was... He does seem genuinely enthused about what's going on with the Switch. I think that's really positive. But I, it was really funny just to see Shigeru Miyamoto in the audience. And he was like the, the, the sort of cutaway comedy of the 10, minute, yeah. 10 minutes where everyone was just like, oh, it's Shigeru Miyamoto. And everyone laughs at him. It's like, hey, there's a crazy Japanese person in the corner. And I, 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 like it was very hammy, very cheesy, a bit over the top. But it was it was exactly the kind of thing that Nintendo loved to do with Shigeru Miyamoto. And I think it's what he loves to do because... Yeah, it, man. It just he's just of, such a fun presence. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like every time you see him in a public setting, he's always just smile on his face, <laughs> like loves being there, loves the attention. Absolutely. Like he is just a kid 
kid you know he yeah, is just exactly. so so enthusiastic and positive and joyful and like we saw that on the apple stage when he walks out and, and wondrous applause and and even here like everyone's like oh you know this this guy he just seems like a nice dude um and uh and i like the interactions back and forth about how he's doing like the thumb thing yeah, where, oh like, God, you, you put it down and twist thing. it upwards uh, and then the internet took to that and just made these amazing gifs of like <laughs> reversing it and his thumb going down and then like yeah. putting quotes next to it oh it's so so good i love i love when that stuff happens but um but yeah it was really awesome to have him there and have bill there as well do you think that they knew that those gifts were going to come with the whole thumb up thumb down thing when when they made it a big deal you know i don't know nintendo seemed more and more self-aware of the memification of them as a company um i don't know i'm not sure if that was scripted it must i think it must have been like there's i think it was scripted i'm just wondering if nintendo knew that it would be semi-viral in the way it was i don't know yeah i don't know i mean you know it's to be honest i'm not sure how viral it is we do like we have to remember we exist (laughs) in in this bubble bubble on twitter (laughs) where we see all this shit and probably (laughs) not many other people do um but uh but again like uh, it's, it's just um overall i just thought they came across very positively you know like nintendo was on form there and uh that you know for public perception that just seems good going forward um when when switch is on the market it's the perfect sort of little hype to get going before january 13th right january 13th is it the Uh, i mean it's 13th in japan i believe it could be the 12th here it could not who knows what fucking time it's gonna be uh we'll see i don't know bali i don't know what ungodly hour we're gonna have to stay up until oh um, god it's gonna be horrible i hope it's not bad but i'm not gonna miss it for the world you know i'm not gonna fucking oh, you, miss that yeah, of course not you can't miss it that's yeah, yeah. this is huge yeah yeah so um but uh maybe let's talk uh, a bit more about the switch uh and zelda and that sort of stuff mm. people were saying it looked like final retail product when fallon put it down on the table yeah. seemingly a lot of kind of text on the back that seemed to indicate yeah this is pretty much what the end yeah. result's going to be um and you mentioned before how you thought it was very slick and, and thinner and i was kind of surprised by how small it was comparative to how, you know what i thought from yeah. the trailer because this is a real life setting uh, it's kind of the first time we've seen it in that um and it is kind of surprising i was like yeah this is kind of ipad size in terms of thickness and in terms of width and everything so yeah um, i am i'm definitely interested to see how many be able to fit it into bags and and carry it around and all that stuff so so that kind of is is a good thing to see but there's also kind of these two buttons on the back that someone uh, pointed out these two kind of mm. small circles that seem to perhaps be the method by which you unclip the like two joy cons spring loaded buttons for the joy cons right yeah yeah um so you know that makes sense uh I, I, they would have had to you know implemented those uh whatever point so uh nothing else i think of significance is there anything about the switch itself and the device that you wanted to point out Bally? should we move on to zelda no no nothing new i just thought that i agree with you that the size was a little surprised a little smaller than i thought it looks a, a, an awful lot sleeker than a wii u gamepad for example uh, and, uh, and yes absolutely considerably smaller it's uh, kind of hard not be... to look sleeker than a wii u gamepad well that's fair, true but... <laughs> think, you know. a brick looks sleeker than um a wii yeah gamepad. but uh maybe. no I, I totally get where you're coming from but yeah the, the, let's talk about zelda 
so Zelda Breath of the Wild didn't really see much new in terms of aerial gameplay. It seemed like the E3 demo, the the plateau kind of area, and Reggie showed off rolling a boulder down a hill to blow up some bokoblins. He used the he used the famous line as well. He what, said, "What was the line?" He said, "You can you see all those hills over there, those mountains in the distance. You can go anywhere that you can see." And it's just like, yep. oh, "Wow, yeah." Nintendo just. 15 years behind when it comes yeah just a little late to the party on that one late to the party uh, a little but, bit. Uh, but still but, you know it's cool in zelda and that's we've talked about this before but yeah as we said reggie in full-blown pr mode of course he's gonna say that it's gonna bring out that line um but uh but yeah in terms of the place and the setting didn't seem like much was different uh but man those barrels exploded and there was no slowdown Frame rate seems to be looking mm. pretty good on this Switch version of Zelda. How are you feeling about the performance, Bally? Because they undocked it, and we didn't get the greatest look at the kind of over-the-shoulder when Fallon was playing on the screen itself. But from what I could glean, seemed like it was a hell of a lot smoother and cleaner than we had seen before. And especially when you compare it to what I thought was an atrocity of a showing uh, at the Game Awards when they were just going chugging on the wii u uh it uh, yeah. seemed a downside better to me yeah it looked really good and it was sort of there was sort of this over the shoulder camera fixated on fallon um which was a bit unusual it was a bit strange setup but from what that that funny angle it did look very good it looked very sleek uh and that's really promising and obviously we're going to pick up the switch version not the terrible wii u version um i, I, I guess most people will won't they and that's it's really positive yeah. that the switch version is looking as good as it does totally yeah it's just it's it maybe indicates the power of the switch that there's not really discernible graphical differences um but for me personally mm. i would take a smooth frame rate over high resolution textures any day of the week you know like Definitely. that's just how i how i prefer it um so i think they're making the right choices which is good um but yeah it was just it was a kind of an out of nowhere thing that i just didn't expect this to to be a significant event uh, for us to care about considering mario run is not really the forefront of my mind but um i was impressed uh, overall and by this the switch uh, I, showing i'd be interested to see sort of how many views that video has got online on youtube etc and just see like what's the reach like last i checked was 1.7 million and that was maybe like a whole day after it had gone okay. out so it's probably I mean, got a bit bigger good. than yeah. Um, cool. but fallon's clips tend to go pretty big uh that's mm. definitely like his market and this was again very smart because fallon is caters to a younger audience through the youtube stuff through the way that he doles things out in these smaller bite-sized chunks that are kind of lapped up by you know people like us who aren't sitting down every night to watch a late night show but no. will easily go and watch a five-minute segment yeah, you know exactly. that's it's a very smart way to do it. It's the way that, you know, he's kind of pushing forward and making sure that he's still relevant. Um, and ultimately, I think that's why Nintendo went to him amongst, you know, the reasons of him actually caring about games and, and all those other things. But yeah, uh, real positive. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, that is going to close us out for the first segment, Bally. Uh, join us after the break, however, when we shall return to discuss the games of the year. Part one. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
All right, everyone, welcome back to the second half of the show. We're in it. It has begun. Game of the year. Oh yes. Ah,、oh, the happiest time, Bali. The happiest time.、Um, and、uh, we are gonna dive into our top ten games that we played this year that didn't come out this year. The tradition continues. I remember the first time we tried to explain this, and we're like, "Well, that's a fucking mess." Clearly, we'll eventually figure out a better way to say that. Three years、nope. later, Bali, we still haven't. It's, it's,、so. it's part of the. It's- Part of the show now. It has to have that name. It's top ten games. Look, we played、tradition. this year that didn't come out this year. Like that's the thing. Yeah, it's tradition. You can't buck tradition.、Uh, and just like Nintendo,、uh, who keep their stupid fucking live system in Mario, we're gonna keep this fucking thing in the show. So just like that. So there you have it. Just、like、absolutely.、Uh, so before we jump into all that stuff, I thought it would be a good idea to、uh, check out some of your top games、uh, of the year. So I、uh, asked you to send in some emails, and we got a few. So we're gonna read some, and then we are going to、uh, jump into our、uh, the first half of our. Top tens, and then we'll take a break, read some more, and finish things out. So,、uh, sounds like a fun time, Bali. Are you ready to to rock and roll? I am ready.、It、is that time of year? All right. Well,、uh, Bali, how about you read the first email、uh, that we have? Our first email is from James M, who's from Vancouver, Canada. He says, "Hi, Bali and MBZ. It's been well over a year since I wrote in last, but I wanted to contribute my list of the top five games I played this year that didn't come out this year. What a mouthful! I've written a little blurb about each game here, so I'm interested to see if you guys agree or disagree with my opinions." Number five, Costume Quest. As a big fan of the original two Paper Mario games, I was able to draw a few parallels from them into this game. It's not overly lengthy or challenging, but it was a fun world to explore. Number four, Steam World Dig. While the concept of this game may appear to be quite shallow or uninteresting, I found that it was addictive to keep digging away to see just what I f- would find next. The low, the lower I travelled into the earth. Found the controls very tight and was impressed by how complex this game was, even though it was based on a simple idea. Number three, The Last of Us remastered. It's The Last of Us. What more do I need to say? This should probably rank higher on my list, but I had already、uh, played the original version on the game of the game on PS3, so felt that a remaster should not be worthy of first place on my list. Number two, The Banner Saga. Similar battle style to Fire Emblem, but with dialogue options that can result in character deaths and a story that is far more interesting than those in Fire Emblem. Still think Fire Emblem is a better series, but this one is certainly worthy of giving a go. Definitely recommend this、uh, to both of you more than anything else on the list if you haven't checked it out already. Number one, Digimon Cyber Sleuth Story. Including this game may be considered cheating. The game was originally released in 2015, but the English version didn't arrive until 2016. Regardless, I had to give this game a shout out because it was absolutely addictive. I would definitely recommend this to anyone who owns a PS4. While the initial similarity to the Pokemon series may be viewed as a turnoff, this game is far better than anything Pokemon has ever released, and I'm a big Pokemon fan. Keep up the great work, James, Vancouver, Canada. Well, thanks, James, for your list.、Uh, few in there that I myself have played.、Uh, Costume Quest, I played as my fifty-second game at the end of last year,、uh, and that's a real fun one.、Uh, nothing like too spectacular, but I enjoyed it. It was very short, like little RPG.、Um, Seamwell Dig, we obviously both love.、Uh, the Banner Saga is one that I've been. Uh, thinking about playing for a while, I think I might actually own it on Steam. It's the thing, Bali. With Steam, I never know what I actually own and don't because there are so many humble bundles. I feel like so、on. many different Steam games, their names merge together and things, and I just I really struggle to remember which one's which and what's going on. 
Well, Bannerstar Gassy says is is a strategy game. It's a kind of Fire Emblem esque thing um, with a cool art style and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, this Digimon game, people are talking about it. Uh, Kyle Bossman uh, from Easy Allies, he was talking about it earlier this year. And uh, I will say, James, that that is absolutely one hundred percent cheating. Uh, but we'll let you get away with it. Um, so, so there you go. Uh, the next list comes in from Simon. Uh, Simon S. from the Netherlands, uh, who, uh, I don't know, last year we kind of noted he had some interesting taste uh, and uh, will continue in that vein this year. Um, uh, So at number 10, he had Hyrule Warriors. Number 9, We Fit You. Number 8, Contra 3, The Alien Wars. Number 7, Metroid Fusion. Number 6, Metroid Zero Mission. Number 5, Code of Princess. Number 4, Sonic Generations. Number 3, Advance Wars Days of Ruin. Number 2, Never Alone. And number 1, Art Academy Atelier. Uh, so an eclectic list from Simon. <laughs> Never disappointing uh, si- on this si- show. It's people like Simon who write in that really make the show, I feel. Like, they're just so unpredictable uh that number one just came out of nowhere right <laughs> just simon we i don't even want to try and predict your top 10 for next year because no that is a really unusual list it's an impossible task but some cool things on that advanced wars days of ruin i know bally you want to play that at some point yeah definitely um and the two metroid games uh, a little lower than i would like to see them <laughs> but uh you know it's your list it's your list uh so there we go thank you uh, both of you for those two lists uh, some cool stuff some interesting games in there and uh, we'll hear some more from you uh in a bit so before we jump into the top 10 uh we're just going to give a few honorable mentions for some games that we may have had on the edge of our lists but didn't quite make it in because uh, uh, you know it's it's hard to narrow it down to just 10 games because there's lots of cool stuff that we play every year and we want to kind of make sure that we're highlighting everything so Bally, what are uh, what are a couple games that you didn't quite have enough passion for to put on the top 10 so i played 15 games uh this year that didn't come out this year uh mm-hmm. a couple i'd like to mention uh, i'd say rhythm thief and the emperor's treasure uh okay it was a really unusual game my first ever really sort of proper rhythm game uh i think that the rhythm elements were very fun i think the story was interesting enough and it was quite a, a cool game there was just a lot of sort of clicking about maps and things and there were parts of that game that are incredibly slow paced i thought um i'd also want to mention kirby and the crystal shards uh for the n64 uh i got this on virtual console yonks ago from umbz and it's it was really cool but it was just quite short and it did some interesting game it's a kirby game like yeah i mean it's a really good kirby game but it's it's a real Kirby game by the numbers and yes the added ability to to mix two abilities together was a nice cool addition and I think that sort of a 2D plane rendered in a 3D world looks great um, especially for an N64 game Uh, but it's not quite as good as the 10 games I'm about to talk about but um, MBZ what would be some of your sort of games that didn't quite make it? So uh, I've got three choices here. Um, I, I was going through my list. And I was like, ah, I don't know if this has been a great year for like old games for me personally. And then I was like, okay, well, let me just put in a list like the things I absolutely have to have on here. And it turned out I had 13 games that I absolutely had to have on there. So a bit of a heartbreaker that I had to cut some. Uh, so the three that I cut were, uh, first of all, Infamous Second Son, uh, which I talked about recently on the podcast. I love the Infamous games. I think they're all awesome. But this one, as great as the gameplay is, 
and you know that that's my main thing that I love when I when I'm talking about games I'm talking about how they flow how they move and all that stuff it just lacked character you know it just didn't have the punch the kind of comic book kind of aesthetic of the old infamous games and it just felt a bit sterile and uh yeah it was enough you know to kind of maybe push it off the list unfortunately um great game really enjoyed it uh the other one is uh or the other two uh advance wars uh oh. bali i know you'll be sad to hear it didn't quite make Very it sad. when i was looking at it i was like I, I enjoyed advance wars i really had a great time with it but there were moments where I just thought, Wanted fuck to destroy you, everyone. <laughs> fuck you, the difficulty just spiked a little too much. Like, there were yeah. certain maps that I just, there was one in particular that I was like, how in the fucking hell did anyone figure this out? I had to follow a step-by-step guide to get through Oof. it. Uh, and that final level, Bali, Jesus, like three hours of just intense struggle. Uh, I beat it, and I'm proud that I did, but yeah some of those difficulty spikes really uh they they took me by surprise um so so i I really enjoyed it but you know stuff like that is gonna put me off unfortunately uh and the last one which i really i wanted to be on this list because i thought was great but uh is freedom planet um and uh i i thought that i was a real surprise for me i didn't expect to like it as much as i did so colorful great stuff going on with the characters and the storyline and um and yeah, it was, I don't know, maybe those long levels just maybe kind of pushed me away from it a little bit. But there are some other really good games on this list, Bally. So it's really hard to nail them down, as you know. Um, so Absolutely. so those are the honorable mentions. Uh, with all that out the way, Bally, I think it is finally time to dive in to the top 10 games that we played this year that didn't actually come out this year. I will give it over to you to kick things off with number 10. My number 10 is a game you just mentioned, then, that's Freedom Planet. Uh, oh, very good. I really enjoyed this game. It's probably my favorite 2D platforming Sonic-inspired game, I guess you could argue. I think that... The- I don't know how many Sonic-inspired games there are, but uh, it's probably the most prominent example. Not a ton, and I've not played many of them at all, but uh, in terms of, sort of like a fast-paced 2D platformer i don't know it, it, it did a lot for me i agree with you i think the story was was really unexpectedly entertaining and quite interesting i think yeah it had that kind of you know anime cartoonish vibe yeah. to it and you know the voice acting was cheesy and hammy at points but i think that yeah. it really fit the aesthetic it was going for yeah and it they create a world that is very uh cohesive even though it's very sure. zany and crazy and anime yeah. like you said and there's some boss battles that are fantastic and the music is just so over the top and exciting and i i didn't enjoy playing this game for long periods of time i thought it was quite intense i'd normally play maybe one level at a time uh but i really enjoyed it. yeah actually that's probably one of the reasons why i left it off my list was i was playing this uh in the evenings and i kind of went through a level each night yeah, and i was like well that same. that's enough for me i think just the way the game is structured it's like man in a 2d platformer i like short levels so i can just jump from one to the other and this one really felt like kind of an endurance test you know like mm. 20 to 30 minutes sessions really were like oh okay i can't really justify starting another level because i know how long it's going to take you know it's, it's not that one more thing uh, aspect to it yeah um so but mbz what is your number 10 so my number 10 is the third Professor Layton game, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. Uh, I think this is the best Professor Layton game that I've played. Professor Layton? 
um it's the best of the trilogy i think i think it culminates in a great way uh has some some cool story payoffs and just from a premise perspective was very interesting to me as we know i'm the time travel lover on this show uh and so of course uh you know it's it's the sort of story that i'm gonna invest in uh much more than you but um the puzzles were really good. I think that they were streamlined in a better way. There were there were more ones that related to what were going on in the story and less so the sort of variety of, hey, it's a random puzzle that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, and I really still like the novelty of those cutscenes on a DS, you know? Like, there's something mm. about it that in the new era of games on 3ds and like on on console generally cutscenes don't impress me but for some reason like the ds hardware like as weak as it was i just didn't expect that sort of stuff and they really just go for it and and those things look great they run well and um they're a bit compressed and everything but they kind of add to the aesthetic of Layton in a way that if it were just these still images and kind of moving from place to place it wouldn't have that sense of attachment to the characters that i feel as a result of them kind of going all in with the voices and having you know them them interact with one another in a cutscene format so mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i strongly encourage you to you know get on the series at some point Bally. yeah and, i really um, one of those ones i mean to get onto and um something about it that appeals to me uh quite yeah. A lot. And, yeah um and yeah there are there are other latent games that came out after this but uh for my money i think this is probably the best one um and uh i i thoroughly enjoyed it so that's my number 10 what about you bally with number nine my number nine is shantae and the pirate's curse uh okay so this is another nintendo humble bundle game like i feel like Pirate. this might be a, a theme that uh, propagates through yeah because <laughs> that bit. sort of hit us like a wave in about march and i was like wow yeah i've got games to play absolutely play these. And, and most of those games were sort of shorter games i would say which was nice to mix they appeal to you uh particularly i know that you know you struggle you know to get long games in and done quickly yeah exactly um Um, helps i definitely often bite off more than i can chew when it comes to long games but shanting the pirate's grass it's it's like a metroid game but with the structure of zelda's dungeons like it just works so nicely i thought it was really enjoyable to play there's massive platforming elements but like i said with the zelda dungeon format you're, you there are these islands that you visit and each island has like a, a process you go through to eventually get to the dungeon there's a weapon in the dungeon used for the boss etc etc um i thought it's actually a really good way to to put it actually because it is the idea of an overworld and I mean, even when you're getting to the dungeon area, it doesn't feel very Metroid-y because the, as I express my distaste for those kind of linear segments, that's not really what Metroid is about, you know, going yeah. from left to right. And as soon as you jump into the dungeons, all of a sudden you're like, okay, so here we are with, the, you know, the kind of graph paper look that, that I wanted. Uh, so I, yeah, that's a, that's a good description of it. Yeah, exactly. And it does what it's aiming to do very well. It knows what it's doing. Uh, it's It has some weak parts. I think you can using money you can definitely make the game a hell of a lot easier but maybe that's not so much a bad thing um and i definitely did invest uh, quite a bit of money to make elements a little easier because there's if you do this without like sort of the power-ups and the bonuses and things it's mm-hmm. a really really hard game could uh, wear you down for sure yeah and it's a tough game in general but yeah shanty in the parts Crest, it's really enjoyed it great music on that one as well oh, uh, so i believe good. that's uh jake kaufman so uh mm. Yeah, that that stuff is real good. Um, so my number nine, 
uh, is uh, the sequel to my number three game of last year. Uh, it's Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. Um, I spent a lot of time playing this game. It's really long. It's way longer than the first one. I believe it took me like 30-ish hours, um, which for a visual novel, I don't know, they, they generally tend to take their time. Uh, but uh, I still really loved it. I This series is so, so good. It just... It takes these elements, these these ideas that I just from a fundamental level am satisfied with, like the idea of the court scenario, the idea of the killing game, like that Hunger Games setup is, it's twisted, of course, but it appeals to me from a narrative perspective. And Danganronpa 2 goes in a very similar direction to the first uh, in a way that makes sense. Um, and that's the reason why it's not higher on my list, because I think it is very kind of uh you know following the footsteps it's not really breaking new ground uh but it does go crazy and as i think i talked about when i talked about it on the show it pulls a metal gear solid 2 which for people who've played that know exactly what that means uh and just kind of you know it does some weird things it kind of breaks the fourth wall in a way that is cool that i didn't expect and kind of freaked me out because i was playing this like late at night and i was like okay why is my vita doing this it's not right this shouldn't be happening uh but uh i i liked it in the end and yeah it's it's very very good it's obviously the sort of thing where you don't want to go in and play the second one before the first uh go in order um but yeah I, I definitely, this is a series I'm invested in, and the third one coming out next year. So I'm looking forward to it. That's, that'll be three years in a row. It'll be Danganronpa 1 uh, in 2015, then 2016 for this game, and then the third one, 2017. Will it come to Switch? Nice. Oh, that's a good question, Bali. Man, you know what? Like, all these Japanese games, I do have a feeling that they'll want to put them out on as many platforms as possible, and with Switch kind of being a console-style thing and having the capability... I wouldn't be surprised, you know, they're porting it to PS4, um, and that's happening with the first two games next year, uh, third one's Vita and PS4, but uh, unless Sony has some weird marketing money going on behind the scenes, which I don't know that they would for this this sort of thing, uh, then yeah, I don't see why not, it's a good call, um, totally, but, uh, but yeah, that's my number nine, Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair, what's your number eight, Bally? My number eight is The Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Seasons. Uh, La Saison. I beat this fairly recently. I really like this game. I was quite surprised how similar, I know you disagree with me on this a bit, MBZ, but how similar to, similar it felt mechanically to Link's Awakening, uh, right. especially seeing as it was a number of years later. And I really think it does Zelda, 2D Zelda well. I don't think it does too much that's mind-blowing and different but there are some really strong dungeon designs and here there's some great bosses there's some great weapons uh this the story is fine i think that it's it's a neat idea the way that it links to oracle of ages and i'm still yet to play that game but zelda oracle of seasons it's it's a really it's a really solid 2d zelda experience um it's quite hard to describe uh, beyond that in short uh but i think yeah. that is quite a good way to sum up really yeah, I mean, you know, I played Ages, of course, and I'm just going to tell you now, it didn't make this list. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I think both of these games are, you know, they're the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll get through them, we'll play them. But it's hard to pick out, like, elements that really, 
stuck out. I think, you know, the one thing I would say about the Oracle games that they do go a little weird, you know, like they, I, I think yeah. if we're talking about things that they take from Link's Awakening, I think the thing they take most of all is like the kind of dreamlike quality obviously Link's Awakening is a dream so you know that you have those those cameos from Mario things going on in there but but like the strange animals you encounter and some of the power-ups you get and yeah just just has a an aesthetic to it that is a little bit off kilter uh which makes sense for it being a Capcom developed game as opposed to Nintendo but um yeah good stuff uh my number eight is Undertale uh, at the start of 2016, I was playing through a bunch of games that were like brought up in Game of the Year discussions from 2015. So I went through like Her Story and Sybil, and I was finishing up SteamWorld Heist. I played Fast Racing Neo, all this stuff. Um, the one that really stuck with me was Undertale. Um, and I, I was really surprised by how much it made an impact. And it uh, obviously, you know, with us playing Earthbound later in the year, it made a bit more sense to me, like where its um, ideas came from and where a lot of its sensibilities was derived. Um, but just even on its own, I thought it it is extremely well written and has characters that you attach to in a way that looking at the kind of artwork that is used and the kind of the way they're drawn and the kind of simplicity of these characters, you would never imagine that they would have more, um, I don't know, charisma and, and life in them than, you know, these fucking 3D models of modern games. But, like, it does a better job writing-wise than most of these open-world big experiences. And uh, that's something that can't be understated. Like, it's it's very important to realize how good writing can kind of transform uh things like this and and that was really important uh, and despite the aesthetic being all over the place and very weird it just it has a charm to it you know it has this real charm and besides all that like the combat is strange these unique enemy encounters that every time you fight something you're doing a completely different action than you were before breaks the fourth wall in a bunch of incredibly like astounding ways and just you know i i definitely feel that it was a little bit samey towards the end like there were some areas that i was like okay i get you're trying to make a point here but like let's move on a bit and it is a little bit slow to start but if i step back and i'm like okay look at this from this perspective now man that game is really good and it's not just this weird fervent fan base is like build it up like I guess the people like really don't enjoy the fact that people go crazy over Undertale and they try and stick away from it for that reason. I'm just telling you, it's actually a really good game. So don't be put off by the weird fandom that surrounds it because if you just play it at face value, I think you'll have a great time. Um, and I hope it comes to consoles. Although there's some things the game does I'm not sure consoles would be able to do. But that said, uh, I think that more people deserve to experience it. So it's my number eight, Undertale. My number seven is the shortest game on my list uh, by quite some way, I'd say. And that's Super Mario Land 2, The Six Golden Coins. One of the greatest uh, games of all time, according to our list, apparently. We, we like this game a lot. Uh, yeah. I owned this way back in the day, never beat it. Finally beat it, obviously with a bit of save states here and there. But um, Yeah, well, got to fudge it. <laughs> it's, it's really, in the same way that you can argue maybe the Oracle games are a little zany in the Zelda universe, this game's quite zany in the Mario universe. There's some interesting sure. 
enemies uh, you know the thing that i really love about this game is when i was younger the enemies didn't really feel weird because at that time i didn't have context for the wider mario universe so like this fucking strawberry with a knife in its head or whatever the hell that is in the (laughs) horror level i'm like Like yeah that's the you know that's everyone's favorite mario enemy strawberry with a knife in its head right yep i'm totally buying into this so yeah yeah. it's, it's just crazy and it very short the world is really nicely put together especially compared to a game like super mario land one uh which doesn't yeah. really even have an overworld uh no this, this just feels better put together more solid uh fairly easy other than the final boss i would say and that's actually quite nice compared to a lot of these classic mario games which can get totally. really hard and yeah we, we, may, have, we may have talked about that a little bit earlier this year hmm, maybe yeah. i don't know i mean um <laughs> we, we just love traditional 2d mario games but i mean this yeah. one really stands out compared to the other ones in our controversial opinion or you know but it's, i, I it's guess in our nostalgia tinted lenses but i i think even removed even removed from that i just and and you know talking about how it's very much more bite-sized i think that's great for the handheld you know like that's how it was it Mm. was one of these games designed around hey people are going to be playing this in short bursts give them some short levels and some short worlds like those worlds like four levels long each right like they're very very bite-sized uh very consumable but it works Um, well it's got great pace to it um yeah and I, i know some people don't like the whole zoomed in nature of it but i think those chunky sprites really give it a character um that like the original super mario land doesn't have at all uh it feels weirdly yeah that mario land one just feels weirdly like bereft of personality when it comes to mario himself Mm. um but uh this game fixes that for sure what's your number seven mbz well i think you'll be uh happy that this made the list um because i really enjoyed this uh, earlier this year it's pikmin 3 um and man i I didn't expect that Pikmin was like Metroid, but that's what I discovered when I played this game. Um, so 3D top-down Metroid. Yeah, in a, in a weird way. Like, obviously, it's it's all about the micromanagement and mm. sending people off into different areas. But when you break it down, it's basically... It's as if when you were playing a Metroid game, Samus... Uh, there was a kind of a, a day-night cycle and Samus would just go to sleep and then you'd restart like in some yeah. room and you'd have to retraverse the rooms to get back. That's kind of how I think of it in this weird way. Mm. Um, maybe one day Nintendo will do that if they ever fucking do anything with Metroid again. Uh, Samus's fucking dream world where she has to wake up and go and <laughs> explore places again and again. Uh, tangent aside, um, uh, the thing that really stuck out to me and that really made me enjoy this game and makes me a little bit afraid to go back to the older Pikmin's is the gamepad is really great uh i love the fact that you can coordinate people to go where you want them to and you can have them do their own task while you're focusing on something else uh and it just feels like you can be way more efficient with what you can accomplish in a single day and it alleviates that worry of like oh do i have enough fruit juice because like you get to a point where "Ah, i'm fucking i'm riding high i don't need to care about fruit juice for fucking three weeks you know like i'm 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 going where no man has gone before um and and to add to the gamepad controls that were really useful was um was the Wii remote control uh, motion stuff um which it doesn't use motion plus does it i can't remember um Mm, i I think it's just normal 
Yeah, I, I think it's just normal motion controls, but it is exceptionally well executed. As I said at the time, probably the best use of motion controls I've ever seen um, because they're so subtle. Like, they're so subtle and they use depth in a way that is really smart. And it really makes me you know, kind of bemoan the fact that a traditional Pikmin game on 3DS wasn't really used. Although, yeah, I guess trying to figure out how to control that would be a bit of a mess. But but I would like to have maybe a 3D screen in Pikmin because it has kind of that, that depth to the world that I think would really mm. uh, bring it to life uh, a bit more. Um, but as it is, it's it's a beautiful game. It's a, it's a really cool loop that they have figured out there. And um, I was very impressed. And uh, I've been converted uh, to Pikmin. Um, so I'm Great. all in. Pikmin 4, sign me up, Bally. Nice. Well, it's my. I think Pikmin 3 is my favorite game on Wii U and it is yeah i've already talked a ton about that game on this show so I'm, i won't go any further i'll just say i'm excited to see what where that series can go for switch and yeah know, there's, there's there's some possibilities i think it's it's a, it's a really interesting and cool uh franchise but well um, we've got that weird uh platformer to come before that happens so we'll yeah, see that'll how that be goes. a weird one that'll be yeah weird um so my number six is uh, a game we cooperatively played together this year, MZ. Uh, that's Affordable yes. Space Adventures. Uh, uh, affordable Space Adventures. I, I love to hate you. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed this game. I know that I frustrated you many a time, MZ, and I know that oh, the, boy. the Let's Play that we recorded is still coming out, so that the, the grand finale is yet to come. But sure. this game was so unique and does some really cool stuff that no other game system could do like the wii u and it was just a real joy to to cooperatively sort of get through each puzzle and work out what to do uh shout at each other uh you know there's just great design to this game it was really enjoyable I felt that the great design was hamstrung by some very key moments where it felt like it was a us trying to force our fucking selves through, through areas a physics that, engine that shouldn't have been as as tough as it was um and for, for that reason like it just it didn't do enough for me to like elevate it and I could definitely tell you were enjoying it more when we were playing it at the time. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely a kind of game that you really would get into. Um, but yeah, some of the, some of the downfalls for me didn't, didn't quite make it, but yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it's on your list. And uh, it is, again, it's a, it's a rare time that we actually play a whole game together. Mm. Uh, we did it last year with Triforce Heroes. So maybe it's a, it's a once a year occasion, Bali, perhaps. Yeah. Once a year, we'll cooperatively shout at each other. Yeah, I'm not sure we could uh, handle the 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 friendship might break, you know, if we push it any more. So, so it's all leave at that, and that seems good. Uh, so before we go to our break, uh, let's talk about my number six, uh, which came literally out of fucking nowhere um, and surprised me super super a lot. Speedrunners, uh, which I was watching that Easy Allies video and they were playing it, I was like, this looks cool. And then I played through the whole single-player campaign in, like, a night. And I'm like, man, this thing's fucking like Mario Kart on crack, but it's a platformer and you can fuck people over in such a cool way. And I don't think this game would have been this high up if I hadn't played it multiplayer. But, thankfully, a couple of internet friends of mine, uh, Nick and Gubs, both picked up the game. And we had 
such fun playing it. I've only played it a couple times with them, but man, that game literally puts Mario Kart to shame. It is the most intense, like, fucking, you know, filled with rage kind of intense action platforming experience i've had in some time and screwing someone over with some of the items and like forcing them to get destroyed at the edge of the screen there is a satisfaction like nothing else um and there's so many maps they're all really well designed just around the entire concept um and this this whole idea of like the screen slowly shrinking until it's this tiny little box in the center that any mistake you make you are done for uh it just it's so good and bali man i think you would fucking love playing this game uh because like it it just takes those elements of screw you and throws them like even heavier than has ever been done before. Hmm. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd like to try this game. It, it does sound intriguing. Yeah, it's uh, it's great, and uh, it's my number six. So Bali, before we top into the top five, uh, let's read a couple more emails that people have sent to us. Um, so let's start with this one from Rachel, and uh, Rachel says. Uh, hi, Bally and MBZ. Thank you for reading my previous email. I thought I'd followed up uh, with, as asked for, my games of the year. Um, and she gives us uh, games uh, that came out this year as well as uh, old ones. But uh, we'll we'll read the new ones in our next episode because that's going to be more focused on stuff uh, that came out um, in uh, in the year of 2016, the year of our Lord, 2016. Um, so starting with games that she played this year, uh, Box Boy. Uh, she says, I picked this up when it was cheap around E3 and then obsessed with it until I had every crown. It's exactly what Bally and I did. Uh, <laughs> it's a perfect, small, unique puzzle game that scratched an itch, and I loved it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, another. I picked it up in a sale along with the rest of the trilogy. A game many recommended to me, but a genre I'd never dipped into before and enjoyed more than I expected. I look forward to playing others in the series once my backlog is shorter. Fire Emblem Awakening. Another series I never touched before, but thought I'd play before Fates hit. I knew next to nothing of Fire Emblem before playing this, apart from the Smash characters, and found addictive gameplay that made me a fan and led me to pre-order the Fates Special Edition. Rocket League. I think enough has been said about Rocket League without me adding to it, but as Splatoon did for me last year, this became my go-to game for a few hours after work, where, despite being pretty rubbish in reality, I keep going for one more game. And finally, Gone Home. While this is not a Nintendo game, and while some would argue it's not a game at all, this quote-unquote walking simulator was free on PlayStation Plus and over several hours told a story that resonated greatly with me and that matched a great setting and made this one of the few games I would urge everyone to play. Yes, not everyone will like it, but it is uh, uh, at its length, it is still worthwhile. Um, and uh, and we'll uh, get to her, her, I said, 2016 games next week. Uh, but Bally, any cool ones you want to pick out from there? Yeah, um, I completely agree. Box Boy just came at a time and just found an itch I didn't even know I had and just went yeah. wild with it. Uh, I'd also argue I've played quite a bit of Rocket League with friends who own PlayStations, and I sure. think that is a fantastic game. It's really addictive uh, sort of party, couch co-op sort of game. Uh really enjoyed that uh yeah the other one's fire Emblem. love fire Emblem, of course um and then um, i know i know a bit less about uh the other two perhaps perhaps yeah but uh you know the original phoenix right 
is a great game still, amazing, and uh, I should probably play Gone Home because that's been sitting on my Steam for literally two years. So we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but thank you very much, Rachel, for sending those in. Uh, Bali, you have uh, the next email. So we have one more email of um, top games that people played this year that didn't actually come out this year. Uh, so this is from Capsule J's from the internet. Dear Bali and MBZ, as this was the year of the backlog for me, 22 of the 27 games I've beaten this year were released in previous years. It was a tough. It was tough to compile, but here is my 2016 game of the year that didn't come out this year list. Number 10, Runbow. Number 9, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Number 8, Eeb. Never heard of that. Number 7, Just Cause 2. Number 6, Final Fantasy 12. Number 5, Freedom Planet. Number 4, The Witcher 1. Number 3, Undertale. Number 2, Life is Strange. Number 1, Tomb Raider. Honorable mentions, Yoshi's Woolly World, Rayman Origins, Lara Croft, and the Temples of Osiris. Osiris. Yeah, Osiris. Osiris. Osiris is the Egyptian god guy. Um, right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I've, I've cut, and then and then Capsule J goes on to say, "I've come to the conclusion that making these lists is fun, but completely absurd process. How the heck does one properly compare Final Fantasy XII and Freedom Planet? I wanted to give a big thanks to you guys, not only for another fantastic year of podcasting, but also for recommending some of the games that end up making it on this list. Wishing you the best for the holidays and the new year, Capsule J." Well, thank you very much, Capsule J. Uh, we do appreciate that, and I agree with him. It is an absurd process that makes zero it sense. But that's why it's that's why it's fun. Like that's why we compare Final Fantasy XII to Freedom Planet and their relative merits, and argue because uh, that's uh, that's the whole uh, point of Game of the Year. It's about arbitrariness, and we are the the arbiters of the arbitrariness. <laughs> so there we go. Um, a couple that I wanted to pick out there: uh, Tomb Raider twenty thirteen, fantastic game. Uh, I can see why you put that at number one because I really loved playing through that and uh, I do think that those Tomb Raider games are doing amazing things. They play better than modern Uncharted and uh, they kind of look better as well. I think Rise of the Tomb Raider looks better than Uncharted 4 but again, you know, I'm running that on a nice PC versus this uh, PlayStation which can't quite push it. But um, anything else, Mally, that you thought was uh, interesting? Yeah, uh, they've got a couple of the the good old humble bundle ones we've already mentioned yes. the show so far: Shantae and the Pirates Curse, and of course Freedom mm-hmm. Planet. Two two great games. Really enjoyed those this year. So yeah, uh, and Runbow, which both of us still have to get to at yeah. some point. Um, so so cool stuff. Uh, and you put Undertale there as well, which of course I just talked about. So, uh, Bali, let's uh, continue with our list. Uh, should we, we quickly uh, run through our ten to six to to remind people in case sure. they've forgotten? Uh, so you want you the, shall I go first? Yes. So my number 10 is Freedom Planet. My number 9, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Number 8, Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. Number 7, Super Mario Land 2, 6 Golden Coins. Number 6, Affordable Space Adventures. And my number 10 is Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. 9 is Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. Number 8 is Undertale. Number 7, Pikmin 3. And number 6, Speedrunners. So, Bali, that brings us to the top 5. Uh, what it's is your fifth game? It's Pokemon Red. Number five is Pokemon Red. The I classic. I, it really is a classic. I was very skeptical going into this game. I was kind of getting swept away by the hype of everyone being like, oh, Pokemon is finally coming to the virtual console. Let's do that. And I was like, you know what? I want to play that game. Like, I never beat it back in the day. I played 
lots. I like played the first few gyms of all three red, blue, and yellow, and I was like, I should beat this game like actually do it and i really don't remember you owning all three of them because that sounds crazy i really did i swear i swear i did uh but i finally beat it i had such a great time i thought the mechanics just held up so much better than i thought they would uh it's it's i don't think it's an easy game uh it's easier than i remember but i think if you know pokemon you know what you're doing it's it's just really playable to go back to and for anyone who who um, sort of got into the Pokemon series after Gen 1, uh, which I'm sure plenty of listeners have, even though that might be weird for myself and Emida to think about because we're like, everyone right. started with Gen 1, right? But yeah. that's obviously not the case. Uh, I'd highly recommend checking it out because the original 150 sprites and those designs there still the best and like in a year that's seen pokemon go and the, the craziness of that like appreciating those original monsters i think is is well worth going back and, and doing so yeah pokemon red uh and or blue you can play blue of, of course but check out gen one pokemon i i it's it's aged really well i would say i mean there are definitely some ugly sprites in there especially when you send them out into battle. I remember looking at Blastoise and being like, what the fuck is this? Like, they're kind of splodgy, you know, and hard to decipher, like, what is actually going on. And, that, and now in Sun and Moon, they just come out in these full 3D rendered sprites. You're like, yeah. Like, there, there's a consistency to the later Pokemon games that Red and Blue completely didn't have. Like, you look at the art style and all these Pokemon that get thrown out, and you're like this was not drawn by the same person at all like they all look so different and the the proportions are out of whack and but i do i do think that adds to the charm of it you know like that was the part of that game that kind of made you fall in love with it back in the day really is like this association with all these different monsters that looked kind of out of whack but um but had uh you know some uniqueness to them um and i may like slightly disagree with you and I, I don't think the 150 are, are the best monsters i think that's a lot of nostalgia yes i do i i think gen 2 is probably my favorite overall um but uh, you know there's some other good ones i think there's a lot of people who are quote unquote gen oneers out there who will deny the existence of anything else uh, <laughs> and only agree with you know the original most Pokemon. people you speak to like my work colleagues and things when pokemon go came out they just thought that was all the Pokemon. Like, people just aren't aware of... Yeah. Many people, I should say, not people. Many people aren't aware sure. of generations beyond that first generation. And I mean, it was uh, it was a flash in the pan, so it was it was a big hit. So, so that's what people would, would know. Um, yeah. So great stuff. Uh, my number five, Bally. Castlevania followed by a name I don't know. No, Castlevania followed by no name. Uh, this ah. is the original, the NES Castlevania. Oh, number five for an NES game. Dude, That's impressive. dude. I think next to Mega Man 2, this might be my favorite NES game. Um, wow. It's fucking hard. Like, this is maybe one of the hardest games i've played uh and usually that is a problem you know we talk about the the issues we have with nes games but there's something about castlevania and it's kind of level design that is very specific like each room is specifically designed with a purpose in mind and there is randomization at play and there will be moments when you'll be like 
fuck you, Medusa Head. Why did you go up and not down? But that said, yeah. like, it encourages memorization in a way that I find satisfying. And that's that's the real issue that I think I had with Mario 3 is Mario 3 encourages memorization in a way that I was not okay with because there were so many damn levels and you never had the right power-up necessarily at the right time. Whereas with Castlevania, everything you need is in the level itself. And if you want to make sure you get through and you have the holy water, well, you've got to make sure you hang on to it. You've got to kill all the monsters with it and you've got to understand that there is, uh, you know, all the hearts that you've got to build up and it just becomes this strategic thing where by the end like there were levels where i got to the end losing no health taking zero hits took me two hours for that one level but i fucking mastered it and there is a satisfaction to just grasping and mastering those mechanics and totally in this day and age the idea of when you jump you don't have air control is real weird but Castlevania is designed around that fact and I think the whole notion that this game controls strangely but is designed around being controlled strangely works in a way that allows me to keep enjoying it in the year 2016 um it's just it's one of those satisfying mechanics like whipping people um upgrading stuff and taking on some bosses this this game's fucking great um and it made me mad but it's also real good. Real good. So, the original NES Castlevania, my number five, Bally. Very good. Very good. My, my number four is, and it feels like an age since I played this game, is Fire Emblem Awakening. Man, um, yes. Fates and, is, like, you've played two other Fire Emblem games since yeah, then, basically. Like, I must be mad. Why am I playing so much Fire Emblem? But, uh, before playing Awakening, I'd only uh, delved into Sacred Stones and completed Fire Emblem 7. Mm. So this was considerably easier. Uh, and obviously the the production of the cutscenes and I really enjoyed the story and things and sort of creating child units and stuff like that. I, I it, really It's similar in a game. way from you going Pokemon Red to Pokemon Sun in, in a, the sense in a of way, the definitely. GBA Fire Emblems to the production level and setup of yeah. the, the 3DS games. Yeah, and this game is very much... It's very sort of... If you've never played Fire Emblem before, play this one sort of design and that's understandable and i think it works well when you're really trying to get into the mechanics and work out what's going on and this game is really satisfying to play and then obviously the mechanics change drastically to the fate series um and i i've not decided whether i prefer sort of the awakening mechanics more so or less than um fates but uh awakening definitely in my mind was just a really really enjoyable fire emblem game uh and it kind of uh, takes away a lot of friction you know and giving you the casual mode as an option and all that stuff like it's a welcoming it's kind of like a big open hug of a fire emblem game you know like it it looks nice it plays really well it sounds great it just has the ability for you to kind of customize the way you want to play it has Mm. all these fucking characters from the history of the franchise this overworld map like there's a real consistency and coherency to that game um and i think even in a world where we have fates now and in some ways those games are better and some games worse uh, 
I do think that Awakening stands on its own as just an excellent example of the series at its peak, you know? Yeah, and I, I think for a series that is so renowned for uh, beating you against the wall with difficulty and, you know, obviously units dying, that's the most famous thing, arguably, about Fire Emblem. To, to, totally. To change that up and be, and, and be brave enough to change that up. And they did get a lot of, Nintendo got a lot of criticism for, you know, it those mechanics changing but you know screw them that's the that's a great thing to do to make games easier and you were given if you want to play a hard game you can make this a hard game and if you want to play an easy game you can make it an easy game and i think that's a really valuable thing that shouldn't be forgotten and it's yeah it's great that this game does it with such high production values and like you said it really welcomes you into it it's a it's a really special game so yeah my number four fire Emblem awakening very good. Uh, my number four, Bally, is Apollo Justice, Ace Attorney. Uh, everyone's least favorite Ace Attorney game, but I really liked it. Like it, I'm thinking back now, and I, I was like, oh, so my series ranking, I think, is you know the first one and the third one because they're so good, and then Dual Destinies maybe, and then this other one, and then maybe this one. But like, I'm thinking on it now, and I think I like this game more than Dual Destinies. I think I like it more than the new one that's just come out like it it wow. really from a story perspective it just it spoke to me in that way and there are inconsistencies that people keep pointing out and i'm like well all of phoenix Wright is kind of dumb and has inconsistencies so i don't see why everyone's like so up the asshole of this particular game um it, i think it has a lot to do with at the time people were worried about you know the direction the series was taking and it was going off in this different character that people didn't necessarily like that much but um there are some real standout cases in that game uh some slow moments but I, I maybe I benefited from playing through it in such a short period of time. I did kind of blast through it in the space of a week and a half, which for a Phoenix Wright game, boy, that's uh, some density. But it also really helps because these stories are so intertwined where the cases all link back to one another and there are things that you pick up on and remember and become significant details where before they seemed innocuous. And the ability to play it in that short span of time really adds to that sense of, I know what the hell's going on here. And um, and that really spoke to me. It just... it. Again, it's an older Phoenix Wright game, so the mechanics are not as refined as something like Dual Destinies or Spirits of Justice, where I like that you know, you're not having to wander around case scenes constantly and figure out what you need to do next. But there is an element of that that you know, I think a lot of people enjoy and, and that sense of being a detective and trying to get everything uh, you know, under your hood as quickly as possible. But it's the story that really stood out to me because... Um, it links back to the past and does that thing that I loved in the third Phoenix Wright game where you're, you know, you're finding out the history and relating why that history from seven years ago is relevant to today and the threads that kind of tie them together. Um, it's one of the things I love about shows like Doctor Who is like they always call back to these old things that happened and you're like, oh shit, they just did that. They just fucking said that Captain Jack Hartness is the fucking face of Bo, you know? Those fucking moments, you know, I, I live for. And uh, and Ace Attorney, uh, you know, Apollo Justice is is really full of those. Um, so it really yeah, kind of surprised me how much I loved it. Uh, so there you go. We're on to the big three. We are. It's, it's the top three of the, the year, podium. Bally. 
the the yes this is where the mario kart people stand and cheer uh, and everyone applauds <laughs> so my uh third favorite game that i played this year that didn't come out this year uh is metroid zero mission uh so this was our... well bally it's funny you should say that so maybe we should have a conversation together because this is my third game as well um so yeah let's talk about it metroid zero mission bally it's it's easily the easiest 2d metroid but i don't think that makes it worse it almost feels more slick in a way Uh, it's it's shorter uh but i think that some of the designs in terms of the sprites and it's a very bright game uh it it was just really enjoyable to play i think that in the same way i described fire emblem awakening as sort of open up your arms and come into our in, uh, welcome to the fire emblem family try out a fire emblem, emblem game i think you can argue metroid zero mission is the perfect 2d uh open up your arms and try a 2d metroid sort of game you know what i mean i think it's yeah totally like especially from that difficulty perspective it's really welcoming it's not hard in any way like i remember and i think we kind of talked about this how we got to bosses and we're like oh yeah died like (laughs) it's like you walk into ridley like oh fucking all right i'm ready i got here we go i I have the missiles i'm like i am stoked to fight ridley and like 10 seconds later he's dead i'm like wait 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 really like that that's how this is gonna go but um yeah i i I agree it's just so slick as an experience Mm. and i think having played super metroid and uh metroid fusion we were maybe uh coming at this game at the wrong stage but nonetheless yeah it's a really really great game uh and it's just a shame it came out such a long time ago and was actually the last one. So uh, I, we, we won't get into that now, but it's a, no, we it's, shouldn't. It's a, we it's shouldn't. a sad tale. Don't, I don't want to feel sad. This is the end of the year. This is game of the year chat. Yeah, exactly. It's hype. We, we love Metro Zero Mission. Um, and yeah, of, of course, if you want a deeper discussion on this, we did a whole episode where we spent like an hour, hour and a half talking about all the intricacies of zero mission and um yeah well i think that you know if we're going to recommend hey there's one game in the metroid series that you should probably start with if you've never played before i feel confident now saying zero mission is that game oh 100 like, percent. in the past agree. maybe i would have been like yeah fusion's good and fusion was your first which i recommended to you I, um, and i'm gonna say like fusion is hard like i think oh totally you're right i think there is so much space between the difficulty of zero mission and fusion that another 2d metroid would uh happily fit into i I would argue super metroid is is closer to fusion um and probably hard in its own unique ways compared to i mean super metroid for me is hard in the control department um i i i do think that that game is in dire need of a remake like i think that if they come out and be like hey we're remaking super metroid for switch oh that sounds amazing because Mm. if you take the slickness and the tightness of zero mission fusions controls and tighten up a bit of the ui on super metroid man that game could be close to perfect you know like really close um but as it is like zero mission stunning example of game design stunning example of sprite work and and just the gba era at its peak i think um 
and just a wonderful experience all around and i know you weren't the biggest fan of the stealth section uh mm. but i think that that is such a cool addition uh that really changed things up um and i'd like to see them maybe explore some different avenues of metroid in, in that vein so there you go that was number three for myself and bali metroid zero mission so, yes. bali what's your number two my, my number two it's more metroid it's metroid prime 2 Echoes. Oh my goodness! Back to back Metroid. Back to back Metroid. Metroid has done well this year. Uh, I absolutely love Metroid Prime too. I think no, that... see that is really weird to me, Bali. Because really? when we were talking about it, I did not get that sense from you at all. Like maybe it was because you're comparing it to the original Prime, yes. and in comparison to yes. the original Prime, it it doesn't do as much it... as that game did. But like yeah. when I was listening to you talk about it, I was like, oh, okay, seems like he he enjoyed this game, but I didn't expect it to be this high up, to be honest. Yeah, I think that. It's so different to the first Metroid Prime in so many ways, and it's a lot longer and harder, and I guess that while my head was in that phase of playing it and just the game being so brutal, I might not have sounded as hyped, but when you perhaps look back on it, it you might look at it more positively. I don't know if that's why I've put it so high, but it just really... It it's so much darker than the first Prime game, and for and in lots of really cool ways. Uh, I think I don't, and I said this at the time. I don't want more 3D Metroids to be like this game, but I'm so glad that this game exists because it's doing a mm. really unique thing on its own uh, that is so creepy, to be honest, and and quite uh, unusual and unique. And I think that this game has a very valuable place uh in all the metroid games and prime one is like just this is super metroid in 3d and we're gonna absolutely right. nail it and they yeah. they did that and the, i think the pacing is better i think it's a shorter game which feels better it's a considerably easier game mainly i would argue uh but this game just has bigger darker bosses that do crazy stuff to you and it's just really weird and i thought the enemy of the ing was just quite interesting and fascinating the way that it sort of corrupted lots of parts of uh the world and going between the light and dark worlds was more enjoyable than i was anticipating to be honest i know a lot of people criticize this game for that but this is the the slickness of Metroid Prime, but with like an added layer of darkness that I just really, really took to. And I know that you really don't want to try this game, MBZ, but I hope at some point that at least the Prime I, trilogy will, will look, filter man, its way through to you. Look, I got a fucked up relationship with Metroid Prime 2, <laughs> you know? It's real bad. It's real bad. It's, it's, uh, that it's worm, that worm boss, eh? That worm boss. <sighs> Like it's not it's not just that though. It's like it's just the whole idea of being in an atmosphere that is constantly killing you. You know? Like that whole notion of the dark world that it's like, well better get into the fucking beam or, or, or the the dome get in the or safe you're gonna zone. die. Here like we go. you better go. Better go, hurry up. Fucking hurry up, or we're gonna literally kill you by breathing. Like Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't. It's so tense. It's just so tense. Um, you know, you said that this was like a really difficult game as well. So yeah, um, I'm surprised that you know you kind of overcame that stuff and were like, 
yeah, I still fucking love this. Yeah, it's, which I, I can respect. You know? Yeah, I, it was. I think if you if I had to list like sort of my my proudest gaming achievements, I think beating this game is really high up there because it really was hard and draining and yeah, uh, it was just. I don't know. It's it's a really really unusual game to be honest. And the I, thing I really like about Metro Prime Two is the law is uh, yeah. you know, um, and it's you know I didn't really get too much into it because I didn't play much of the game. But I mean, it, it left its mark on me because when I was playing like stupid games uh, when I was like thirteen, like O Game, which is this online space thing where you make a planet and stuff. I named all my planets after like Metroid stuff, and two of the planets were Luminoth and Ing. So. You know, like it's they have some real good names in the Metroid yeah. series for like sci-fi shit, and Luminoth is one of my favorites for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and Aether as well. Aether, a dark Aether, love it. And who knows where the Metroid series goes in the future? And I think Federation forces probably as far as 3D Metroid could get from Prime Two in terms of uh, atmosphere and like. I, I do hope that Metroid decide, tries to go dark again at some point because I think this game proves it can be done and it can work. Uh, it just needs a few tweaks, uh, maybe a little shorter, maybe ever so slightly yeah. less hard and brutal. Yeah, maybe less kind of Wind Waker-esque collection at the yeah. end. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a, bit of collect- there's a lot of collection and, and Prime yeah. 1's got collection and I think both of those games, it's unforgivable that they both have that and it's a shame, but... Uh, yeah, clearly doesn't uh, do enough to damage it though. It's it's high up in this list. Yeah, not quite um, enough, and it's mainly because you've experienced some of the best bits of the game before you do all that stuff, and you're, totally. you're already on a high, and it's just sort of a bit yeah. of a lull before the final boss. But fair enough. You, I think you can't uh, be perfect. It, we, with this list, Bally, it pretty much cements your position as 3D Metroid over 2D Metroid. Um, yeah, um, uh, and I'm really excited i've been meaning to play this for most of the year is and that's metro prime 3 corruption uh you know I, what bali i, I th- actually think it's great that you're doing like metroid primes in different years because yeah it, uh, spread it spreads out, a out a bit and it means you're not I mean, competing not with one another with all those games so yeah so i'll definitely play uh three uh in 2017 and we'll see what i think of that game but uh mbz what's your number two my number two game, Bally, uh, is the darling of the PlayStation era. It is Final Fantasy VII. Um, it's been a thing recently where a lot of my top games of the year have been JRPGs. And I think that's because there are a lot of classic ones and I never played them. And I am really getting into the genre as of, you know, starting this podcast. I've played quite a few. And last year was the example of, you know, having Chrono Trigger on there and Persona 4 Gold. them up. Yeah, I don't necessarily eat them up. I you go so uh, fast. <laughs> maybe. I'd go faster than you do. You but, go uh, faster than I do, for sure. That's a fact. Uh, I wouldn't say that I, I eat them up. I'm I'm like 30 hours into Dragon Quest Seven with no end in sight. So I wouldn't say I eat <laughs> them up necessarily. Um, but man, is Final Fantasy Seven a game that I did not expect to hold up this well um it really takes the blueprint of chrono trigger in the sense of the characters um thing that i loved about that game was you just had this diverse crew of like completely weird different people who just kind of came together for this common purpose and final fantasy 7 feels like that same thing where you have 
all these party members, some of whom are just really strange, like a fucking talking lion and stuff like that, that just, they all fit so well together and the, the world kind of does a great job of just making it believable and making it feel like, yeah, these characters would be on this journey and doing this stuff. And and it, it's kind of this natural progression of, hey, this is a classic JRPG and it has a really cool battle system. Uh, and yeah, it's... It, it doesn't look amazing because it is a PlayStation 1 game, but, you know, I was playing Steam version and that, game, that version has its issues, especially in the control department where you're like, some of the mini games don't really function as you want them to and, uh, you know, the the control bindings are a bit of a mess to get your head around. But that stuff aside, uh, the character models were much sharper uh, and the backgrounds were kind of still in their old, you know, pre-rendered state and you know there's a case to be made that pre-rendered stuff just doesn't hold up at all anymore but there is something about that look of an old playstation game that you can see they were trying to really create this sense of a world and if you just step back a bit expand your imagination somewhat you can get into it in a way and i really felt myself doing that and loving the overworld and being really surprised when i could just go across it in these these ways that you know you could do in the old super nintendo days of the airship floating across the map but back then they were using kind of the fx chip and it still looked 2d and i just didn't expect them to kind of do that whole full-blown overworld thing again and this early in you know the playstation and and 3d games and and uh yeah it just it surprised me it has some great character moments some great story stuff and I just think the battle system is really fun and it, again, like Chrono Trigger, it's a very easy, not easy, a very well-paced JRPG. I don't think you need to grind that much. The battles are challenging but give you all the tools you need within a uh, the place that you're at and it's just, it's so, it has a magical quality to it that i wasn't kind of prepared for um and i i kind of see why people loved it back in the day and there are flaws and you know it's it's not the easiest game to go back to in 2016 but i just i was blown away that yeah this final fantasy 7 is the real deal people love it for a reason um and it just has you know it's it you would think that it was the self-serious thing. You kind of look at the trailers for Final Fantasy VII and you're like, mm, I don't know how Square are going to kind of transfer some of these really goofy moments. Because as, as serious as the main story is and the, the stuff that happens with the characters, like there's some dumb stuff going on that I, I find is going to be funny when Square try and approaches what the hell they're going to do about certain scenes uh, in this, this new version. But <laughs> um it has character and it has a bite and that's what i really like about it and yeah totally won me over final fantasy 7 i'm a fan good job so bali i think it's finally time we're for the here. number one game and uh i have a feeling I, that we're yeah, going I, in the same direction i here. have a feeling we should make it clear and we didn't mention this at the start but but we make our own lists for our top 10 games of the year that didn't come out this year we, we make them ourselves and we don't tell each other what we've been thinking about putting in or tell each other what we put in. We like I've not seen your list, you've not seen mine. Yep. I mean there's um, proof of that in this episode where I'm like, really? Metro Prime two over zero yeah, mission? Exactly. Okay. Like we've we've surprised <laughs> each other along the way. But um Yeah, my number one is Earthbound. 
Absolutely, Bally, it is my number one yeah. as well. Yeah, there we go. Let's talk about it. Yes. This game is very special. Yeah. Uh, and I was bowled over uh, playing Earthbound this year. And, uh, you know, we have, again, you know, the Backlog Club clearly has had a great influence on, on this year's lists uh, with Zero Mission and this. Um, but uh, there are so many elements of Earthbound that have stuck with me. And I think that is the key component of it is... A game can be a classic and can be revered for many reasons. And a lot of that has to do with nostalgia and people remembering stuff at the time. But the thing for me is there are moments in that game that just stuck, you know, that I remember, that I can recall, that I, I hold dear, that I think are special. And that is something that Earthbound has in spades. Like it has moments and parts and memories you know despite the fact that i played it like three months ago or whatever it was it it has the special kind of surprise element and and the memorability for me yeah it's i i went in not knowing what to expect really and there is just so much hype about this game and how special it is and i really didn't get it to be honest from the little bits of and pieces i'd seen and heard about i was like what well what's so special it's just an rpg but when you actually experience it and i played a lot of this game in a very very short space of time um yeah and i think that really helped me grasp um sort of all the different environments and the way that this game comes together uh but it's references to the world and how you live your life and political religious systems and so many things that we talked about in our backlog club i think it makes it just so incredibly unique and it's got an incredible story the ending is unbelievable and it's got this sort of style that is so unique to itself and that no other game does in the same way or really comes particularly close it's got its own identity that it really keeps it it really pushes its identity so much throughout the whole game and i i just really liked this game a lot like i really really liked it and it's yeah forever going to be um one of those really really special games really special games it's there is just a cohesion of all the elements in earthbound like it feels like the sort of game that would win Giant Bomb's best style category, you know? Like, mm. the artwork and the music and the way that everything meshes together. Like, how the writing and the music and the art and the design of the battles and the characters and their relationships to one another and the relationship to the player character. Everything is just this beautifully intertwined whole that is wacky and weird but just works you know like it just works and i uh i was always being surprised by earthbound every time i got to a new area and something different happened and they took away a party member or they threw me across the other side of the world to be someone completely different or i was suddenly tiny on the screen where there were giant dinosaurs walking around like there are moments that i kept being surprised by and for a game that is this old uh and that is you know in the limitations of a 16-bit system having the number of surprises that i did was pretty astonishing 
Yeah, it just it it takes you through these experiences you're just not expecting in the slightest. And you you mentioned it a second ago, but just splitting up the party and putting not even I say splitting up the party. You're not splitting up the party. You're moving away from the party, uh, going with another person, and then you're playing as that person to rejoin the party. And I just right. that's a great way to expand the world and create new experiences that up until that point are fairly linear through the towns you're going through but then all of a sudden you're just thrown onto the other side of the map and it's a bold move but works incredibly well it's it's a great move because it really it lends that sense that this is a world right and that it's all linked together and that these places feel real because and, you know, we talked about it in the episode, but like the flyover sections where you're seeing what's coming mm. in the future and you know that you're going to have to traverse those areas and and then, you know, coming back again. It's just, it is complete and wonderful and just joyous and weird and wacky and all the superlatives. I just think Earthbound is deserved of people saying this game is special um and i hope that we've convinced people they should play it if they haven't listened to that episode or they haven't tried it before it's you know it's not going to appeal to everyone i know there are people who don't like earthbound i think they're crazy but i know there are people who don't like it Mm. um but i do think that if you're a nintendo fan it's one you got to get to on the list at some point and it took us way too long bally to get to it uh but we did, and I think that we're better for it. So um, so yeah. there you go. That's our number one game. Both of us chose independently of one another. Independently. Um, so that's it, Bally. It's our top ten. Uh, do you want to run down uh, all through the ten again to remind sure. people? Sure. So my ten from ten to one again are number ten, Freedom Planet. Number nine, Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. Number eight, The Legends of Zelda, Oracle of Seasons. Number seven, Super Mario Land 2, The Six Golden Coins. Number six, Affordable Space Adventures. Number five, Pokemon Red. Number four, Fire Emblem Awakening. Number three, Metroid Zero Mission. Number two, Metroid Prime 2, Echoes. And number one, Earthbound. And my top 10 are number 10, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. Number 9, Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair. Number 8, Undertale. Number 7, Pikmin 3. Number 6, Speedrunners. Number 5, Castlevania. Number 4, Apollo Justice Ace Attorney. Number 3, Metroid Zero Mission. Number 2, Final Fantasy 7. And number 1, Earthbound. Uh, And there you have it. Those are our lists. That is our top 10 games that didn't come out this year that we beat and played this year for 2016. It's been a good year, Bally, I think. Um, again, you know, I was looking at my list. And I was like, I don't know if many of these games rate like highly on here, but you know, uh, I filled up a list relatively easily. Yeah, I think as we've done more years of this podcast, it, the first year was maybe I was going straight to the, the top tier and yeah. perhaps they are becoming ever so slightly uh, diluted, you could argue. But there are still so many great games like Earthbound, like we've mentioned, that we've still not played and that I am still constantly going back to. And my backlog yeah. is still 30 games strong. Uh, you, so, can, uh, and we, you can push through, Bali. Exactly. So 
I'd love to play as many of those 30 games as possible by this time next year, but there's a little thing called the Nintendo Switch going to get in the way, perhaps. Oh, boy. That I hope won't dent this list too badly, but hopefully our top 10 games of the year that didn't come out that year for 2017 can be uh, almost as strong. Yeah, I hope so. Um, You know, if they they put out Final Fantasy VI on Switch, then you know what, maybe... You know, it's going to be another RPG central thing oh, going geez. on. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. We shall have to see. Uh, Valley, that is going to close out the show. However, that is the end of the episode. Uh, so before we go, uh, let's do all the things that we usually do, like plugging ourselves. We had an iTunes review. Shall we mention that? We did indeed. Uh, so, as I mentioned last time, uh, good buddy Gubs, who I mentioned, uh, you know, played some speedrunners with, uh, went and reviewed us on iTunes. And um, that review, Bali, you can read. So, Gubs says, if I were to use one word to describe this podcast, it would be quality. It's some of the easiest listening in the podcast world and keeps me thoroughly entertained throughout the duration of my listen. This podcast has succeeded in getting me excited about not only Nintendo, but gaming in general once again. Keep it up, Bally and MBZ, and thanks for putting out such a great podcast and free of charge. Yes, of course. No one should pay for any podcasts. I believe in a free podcast economy and a free podcast world. Uh, But thanks, Gubs. Thanks for reviewing us. That's uh, some kind words. And we hope that you will feel like you can review us as well. So go on over to iTunes. It's real easy. Just got to use your account and just type some words and uh, say, hey, these guys are all right. And uh, check them out. We'll, we'll read it. We'll read it. Uh, so, yes, uh, thank you for everyone who has reviewed us and people uh, who will continue to review us in the future. Uh, you can find us in various places on the internet. Bali, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ballyman91. That's B A L L Y M A N 91. It's a travesty, but I cannot post Pokemon Sun screenshots uh, to the Miiverse. I will... Dire situation. Exactly. I will hopefully play also some more uh, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest and post a few screenshots there. You've got to get on that, Bally, because, you know, got that discussion coming up for oh next boy, time exactly, with the top five exactly, Nintendo games. Top five. Uh, but I would also recommend checking out the podcast twitter account which is at tnl podcast uh that is the best place to go for all the latest on episodes and segment breakouts that come out on our youtube channel that i would also highly recommend checking out uh and that twitter account is actually i I mentioned this last time that it was nearing 400 where i think we're one under 400 now we're on 399 so if for the end of the year my one my one christmas wish it's to get past 400. Come on, uh, guys. You don't want to break Bally's heart here. Don't break you know? my heart. We'll miss the that. one thing he wants, all he wants for Christmas is you to follow the Twitter account. Uh, so <laughs> go ahead and do that. Um, <laughs> You uh, you can also see on that Twitter account some amazing artwork which was made uh, by Lizzie Dawson, as we mentioned last time. We uh, forgot to mention her Twitter handle. Uh, her Twitter handle is at morehandclaps. Uh, you can follow her there and see some other amazing stuff she does. Uh, every week, usually, does some sketches of the Giant Bomb crew, which are always amazing and, and fun to look at. Um, and I uh, want to thank her once again for providing that amazing artwork. Uh, of me and Bali just bobbing around in just the, the King of Red Just bobbing around in the King of Just Red having Red a great Red. old time. 
you can find me on the internet. I'm at LordNBZ on Twitter. That is also my Meverse name. Um, we can be found uh, on the Gmails if you want to email us. Uh, and the email address is Bally. This Nintendo Life at gmail.com. That's this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. We always need more emails, and especially right now, we need your games of the year that came out this year. Uh, because yes, that indeed. is what we are going to be talking about next time. And as usual, we will be compiling and debating uh, the, uh, in a list that will reach a top five that will represent this Nintendo Life's top five games of 2016. Yes, uh, so go ahead. We've had a couple of emails for 2016 Game of the Year lists, but if you haven't done it yet, you've got two more weeks. So uh, head over to your email account and send us your list, uh, and we'll read them like we did the lists of today from some very nice people who sent them in. Um, uh, Other things, we can be found in various places. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, uh, we are on YouTube. Our YouTube account is youtube.com slash thisnintendolife. Very easy to find now, and uh, all that good stuff. And I think, Bally, that is pretty much us. Uh, We're doing things, things are happening. It's an exciting time of year. Um, How are you feeling going into, uh, you know, December, going into the top five games next week. Do you think it's going to be a bloodbath? Do you think it's going to be a fun time? I think that there will be a bit of, quite a bit of agreement. I think it'll be an easy one. An easy one. All right, well, we'll we'll see. It's uh, uh, it's usually not as fun when it's an easy one. I'm I'm, I'm excited about uh, a bit of time off and to dive into uh, some very long games I'm in the middle of right now. So yeah, I mean, we've got Star Wars as well on the horizon. Oh boy. uh, look out for a special Star Wars podcast you know in the new year. You um, know it. Uh, the tradition that we'll continue. Uh, so, Star Wars uh, every year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for the rest of our lives, Valley. <laughs> the, the rest, rest of our of lives. Our life. um, so there you go. That's going to be us for the podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. We love you all. It's been a great year for the podcast. And uh, I hope you guys continue to listen and continue to enjoy the show because um, we love making There's it. There's one more episode this year, MZ. Can you believe it? I can't. It's One gone more. so fast. It's gone so fast. Blink of an eye. Before we know it, we'll have the switches oh, in boy. our laps. Uh, so uh, it uh, it's coming around the corner. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you in the last episode of 2016 next time. I'm becoming significant now. Uh, but uh, until then, <laughs> thanks. Uh, we love you. And goodbye, everyone. musical interlude used on today's show was Two Feet and a Heartbeat from Rumbo. Copyright 13AM Games, 2015. Number two, the Banner Saga. The Banner Saga? Banner Saga. Uh, <laughs> saga. Let's go again. The Banner Saga. Say Saga, saga. not Saga. 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 The Banner what Saga. What did I say? The Banner Saga. The banana saga. The banana sack. The banana sack. <laughs> the banana sack. All right, go again. All right, ready?